2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com.
0: We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Countdowns are getting shorter around here, Marty. Welcome back on Sabres Live. And we are joined by Shayna. You're Goldman. not ready. You're not <laughs> ready, Duffer. I may not be ready. I certainly wasn't ready last night when providing <laughs> uh, statistical information to our crew. But uh, nonetheless, Shayna, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show. We, I think, have been trending towards having a full-blown discussion on this for a while. Marty and I are probably going to reserve this for a little bit. But we wanted to utilize your expertise in contract management, contract projections, especially when it pertains to a team's leading scorer who just happens to be a restricted free agent this summer. That would be Buffalo's Casey Middlestat. What are you thinking about Casey and his next deal?
1: So, when you think about Casey, I think of the Sabres tendencies first and foremost with their young players, and that's go for the big contract now. And he's already had the short term contract, so this is the time you would think, especially after the season he's having. So, the question is, what might that cost? So, two ways I like to look at it. One is with Dom Luchitian's market values, and for Middlestar right now, it is $6.7 million. For an RFA, we generally don't see someone sign up to that number. Um, t- you know, teams with the leverage, things like that, it just doesn't happen. But in this case, it's kind of intriguing because if you look at Evolving Hockey's projections, and this is for last summer, so we're not factoring in this year, they have an eight-year deal come in around $6.7 million. So it actually could line up, and you have to think that, you know, The projection this year would be a little bit more rich for him considering the season he's having. The number that stood out to me though versus an eight year deal is what they have for a seven year contract, which is in that six million dollar range. It's a little bit high still for someone when you have Tage Thompson on the depth chart ahead of him and you have Dylan Cousins contract already done. But I feel like a five to six million dollar deal in, you know, this greater cap world that we're going to see next year could be a little bit intriguing. And it's something that should still be cost effective for the Sabres when you consider his market value.
2: So he's first on the team right now in scoring. But what if by the end of the season, you have Thompson, Skinner, Tuck, Dallin, maybe JJ Paterko, who knows? What if you have four or five players ahead of him? And now he goes from tops to fifth or sixth. Does that
1: really make that big of a difference? Not really. You should hope those players move ahead of him because they are the players you want to be your top six talent. It's top six talent, and you want Middlestad to be your middle six talent. Like, there should be a difference there. I think if he's not the leading scorer, does he get $6 million? Maybe not, and that would be completely fine. $6 million might be an over-projection for him. But if he can stay in that $5 million range for a 3C who is at the beginning of his career just going into his prime, it's not a bad investment to have. Every Stanley Cup champion, you can look down the middle and go, except for Vegas, because they were like a little bit weird and had one true top-line center like right before they won and before that they didn't. But you look at any other contender and you go, if center-depth wins championships, you look at the money that they've invested, and you can see one, two, three down the middle tend to be a little bit pricier. When players leave those teams, like you look at Tyler Johnson for Tampa or Nazem Mm -hmm. Kadri. For Colorado, it's because those contracts no longer are cost effective. And it's a different conversation for the Sabres because he's so young.
0: Well, you mentioned Vegas. It was so Nick
1: Benino, 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 Benino,
2: Benino, Benino for Pittsburgh years ago that uh, left and it left a big hole there.
0: <laughs> it did. It did. Now, with Vegas, um, their injuries have been more in the crease and on the blue line, obviously, without Wild Bill, though, last night. They lost again. They lost both ends of the rematch series against Florida this year. And for the first time, Shayna, Vegas. This is the first time ever Vegas has lost six of seven, not to mention seven of nine, and don't look particularly sharp on special teams. That killed them last night against Florida. Uh, do you have any sense of concern with Vegas right now?
1: I think the Shea Theodore injury to me is the one that is the most noticeable for them. Yeah. Um, I think he is actually their number one defenseman. I think that because he's so good, And he can split that workload. It's been better for Petrangelo, who, like, I'm not knocking. I just think having the two of them together is much better than having just one of them. Um, But that plus the goaltending is starting to weigh on them. And it's interesting, too, because, like, before this last stretch, their five-on-five numbers were trending every which way in the right direction so it was like maybe they can withstand the goaltending this is a team that we all sit here saying after the stanley cup they can win with average goaltending look at them they're so well built in front of the crease and now they have weaknesses up front they're not super pronounced but they're a weaker team than they were last year when they won because of the riley smith subtraction now Mm -hmm. you have that they're hurting on defense and in goal it's it's really tricky Am I super concerned? No, because I think they're going to be healthy when they need to be. Right. Shea Theodore is expected to come back by the end of the year. Aiden Hill might return soon, too, which is going to be really good for Logan Thompson because he's more of a 1B than a starter. So Mm. I think Vegas will be fine. And if you're going to have struggles, this is the time to do it. Figure it out now. So you have time to assess your team before the deadline. But like, doesn't look good
0: There was a really good in-game interview last night with Bruce Cassidy on the bench after they had squandered multiple five-on-three power play opportunities in which he had called the timeout. And he basically said, I called the timeout because I wanted to work on a play that we, a set play that we use, but they just went off and did their own thing. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> and it was, I mean, he, he kept looking up at the scoreboard while doing the interview going like, we're down by one here. We got to do this. And we—and it was so intense. And it, it was so meaningful to see the fact that this game against the team that they humiliated to eliminate them in the Stanley Cup final last year was getting the better of them once again. Yeah. So, hey. Who knows if we'll see Florida Vegas again in a rematch at some point, but, uh, I'd be all for it. The, the juices are well, there. The sides, so
2: if Vegas is struggling, does that put the Edmonton Oilers in a position to maybe get into the top two in that Pacific division? Because right now the Oilers have four games in hand on Vegas, four games in stinks. hand on Seattle, Ellie's trouble, Vancouver. <laughs> they have three games in hand on Vancouver and they're only 10 points back from like Vegas is. And and the Edmonton Oilers have won six in a row. So can the Oilers now like say, hey, they're back to being a cup contender and, and a top team in the Pacific Division?
1: The situation's there for them, right? They just yeah. have to grab it. And that was the case going into the season, too, right? We were like, okay, this is a team that can do it. Here we go. The Pacific Division. They're good, but they're not going to be as amazing. So it's all about whether they, like, they can seize the moment, which has been their biggest problem. But they should be able to make the playoffs. They should be able to get, I think, more than just a wild card seed because you're seeing other teams struggle at the same time. It feels like the one, two, three in the Central are so locked up. No offense to Nashville. UC Soros has been fantastic the last month, but like, I don't see them making it, so those spots should be going to two Pacific Division teams. The fact that the Flames have completely burnt out, you know, opens the door to three Pacific teams making it. So I think Edmonton has the opportunity to jump up, and I think whoever slides out should still be fine. And in a playoff spot, like, I'm not concerned about Vancouver, Vegas, or LA making it. But I, if I'm Edmonton, I absolutely try to take this moment because they squandered so many opportunities to be that top team sooner. And obviously that's what you want because you don't want to fall into a wild card seat and have to face up against Colorado. Nobody should want that.
0: We're going to find out really quick uh, whether L.A. was legit in the first half when they go on the road for six they're the best road team in the nhl but they can't win at home they cannot win at home their production goes down they you know they lost their fourth in a row last night i'm super excited to see if brant clark gets uh a real good run here on this uh on this road trip for them but uh but yeah last night was a major disappointment as they squandered one to detroit who you know marty kind of like what we talked about with the sabers it was yeah. the first time in a long time that detroit had been able to put together back-to-back wins on their trip so um so it makes it all the more interesting. Do you have a quick thought on uh, on Seattle, Shana? The fact that they have now extended their point run to a franchise-best 8-0-2, a 10-gamer. I know they've still got time left to, to play before they come to Buffalo next
1: week, but what are your thoughts on the Kraken? So two things come to mind. One it's you couldn't have expected them to repeat their scoring season of last year. Year one, it was like the super low shooting percentages all around. Year two, you have super high percentages all around. So you're going to expect something in the middle. And that's what we saw, the you know, to open the year. And it hurt the higher end players that you expect to be the difference makers, the Maddie Beniers of the world. Mm-hmm. Um they still have a balanced approach. That's great and wonderful. They still have a very good defense. That's a great, wonderful. The penalty kill is outstanding. They were good in October. They were one of the worst in the month of November, not just in net, but in front of the goaltenders. And they have completely turned it around to be one of the best teams in the month of December. And this is a team that you kind of see them built to thrive on the penalty kill. That's what they have. They have all these, you know, character players and players who can grind it out and two-way talents. So if their penalty kill isn't clicking, that's a problem because their power play, you don't expect to be. But for me, the storyline for them is the goaltending it's yes. joey decord he has been excellent and Allison lucan brought this up to us a couple of weeks ago on too many men that she feels like as much as we look at the public expected goal models and this is what we have to work with she didn't feel like they were giving a fair shake to the cracking goaltenders and was breaking down why and what we see, and how the numbers line up, and how you have to find something in the middle sometimes to really have the context behind it. You know, the chances that the goaltenders were facing, how difficult they were. If they were off the rush, that should make it a more valuable shot. But we just can't measure that in the public sphere. Um, so the Decord's numbers coming into being the starter looked really poor, but it's nice to see how much he's outperforming it right now. He has been absolutely positively excellent for them. We haven't been able to say much throughout their tenure that they have steady goaltending, and right now they do.
2: Okay, so sometimes you got to look at the basic numbers as well. 70 and 2 in his last 9 and only one of those 9 games has he had a save percentage below 941. Like every game is 941 and over. 8 of, it's like you I mean, okay, sometimes you're going to look at the expected goals and say, "Oh, well, he's not saving a ton of goals right. above expectations whatever." But you don't need to when you're putting up 941 and better in 8 out of 9 games. It's like I'm doing my job, and if yep. my team does, like, I, I commend that even better sometimes because it's harder that way sometimes to stay in the game and to have an impact. And Joy Decord, good for him, and I loved his interview with his dad on NHL Network after the Winter Classic because his dad basically said, hey, he went to Arizona State University when they didn't have a program. They started a program. He had to battle. Like, people think that, hey, it's easy. Easy, good. No, it doesn't work that way. And
0: yeah. it, it, like, last year, I mean, there he was with Seattle's Farm Club going to Game 7 oh, and yeah. overtime in the Calder Cup, you know, and he came out on the wrong end of it, but he's just kept on grinding. And Shana, we had just talked about it. I mean, he had like four different cameos in the NHL that were really, really short. And this has been the longest runway he's been given. And it's it's a super cool story right now.
1: It really is. Like, there's the human element of it. And then... It's the Seattle Kraken element of it, that they haven't had that steady goaltending. Grubauer has fallen short, and they have to rely on martin jones last year so Mm -hmm. i think it's like a little bit of everything and the Kraken are a team that are really good defensively like i feel like we forget that sometimes because we focus on the goals against that come out really high like you look at year one and it was like this is one of the best defensive teams but if a rush shot happens to get past it's going in the back of the net so if a goaltender can you know rise to the occasion and be what they need when something slips through the cracks that that's all they're asking for and they absolutely have that right now and i love that it's going to make a discussion like when grubauer is healthy if he can keep this up they're going to have a little goalie battle. And if he can win it out, that's fantastic for him. Like, I'd love to see him just keep earning the opportunity. It's always fun when someone can emerge when, you know, somebody else is out of the lineup and then you have that competition when you come back, like let's see what he does with it. You know, when he has that pressure of having to match up against somebody else for that playing time.
2: I love it. I think that's great. A little competition happening with the PWHL Uh, road teams all win three and Oh, road teams. Boston who's supposed to be the best team. Um, did lose to Minnesota, but Nicole Hensley had a fantastic game for Minnesota. So she was good, but uh, it's Toronto, uh, not Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa was physical, was rough. It was a good game. Um, what do we make up of the first three games in the PWHL so far? And what your expectation is for this, this league that it's getting support now, fans are going and it's fun and good atmospheres.
1: Yeah, I'm loving it so far. Um, I do expect Boston to be a team to beat, absolutely. But, like, Minnesota is right there. You know, you look at they have a heavy USA hockey influence. You have Kendall coyne Schofield. You have Grace Zumwinkle. You have Taylor Heisey, who is an absolute superstar. Like, they're so good. They have really reliable goaltending. So it's like there's going to be really good competition there. Um, New York over Toronto, I think we learned immediately, like, don't count out New York. Like, they have superstar talent like Abby Rock and Alex Carpenter, but they're not the same household names as the Marie-Philippe Poulins and the Hillary Knights of the world. But I'm looking at them and I go, don't underestimate that talent, like that team. That is going to be a team that's going to be really hard to match up against. Toronto, I don't think it's going to be the team to beat this year. I look at them and I go, I love Jocelyn LaRocque. I really do, but I would have gone Elena Mueller at second overall, and I think that's something that might burn them. I don't think they have the star power of the other teams, and, you know, we're already learning about Ottawa. This is a team that a lot of the players on, they were really good in their NCAA days and got to be those leading scorers, but at the national level, where we have, you know, grown to know them more, they're in depth roles. Someone like Brian Jenner is not someone you think of as, like, a leading scorer, because there are... Players higher on the depth chart for mm-hmm. Team Canada. She's more of a defensive role. But it's like, here's your chance to be that leading star. And I think she's going to run with the opportunity. And then you have these really fun wild cards, like a Kanishiga. Like, love that for them. Daryl Watts, like, that is the roster, like, I am maybe the most fascinated with because of that, like, all-star potential. But it's just, it's so good so far. It's physical. It's skilled. It's everything you want to see and more. And most importantly, it's accessible. So there is yes. zero reason not to watch. And I absolutely love that.
0: So, your future goal for the league, as far as growth number of teams is what
1: oh I mean full expansion would be great. I'd love to see twenty but like teams how quick one day. do you how
0: do you because again, I do think we're like it has launched really well here, and the hope is that you know attendance maintains a terrific pace like how quick do you would you like to see those behind this league uh be willing to grow to grow it and expand it?
1: I think that the talent pool is there to expand. You know, when you look at everybody that didn't make it from the PWHPA, the PHF, and the ever-growing NCAA level, plus international players that I think are going to be more willing to come over after a year, you know, because of the season starts and things like that. I think that there's the potential to grow two teams in a year. I'd be really interested to see if someone like Pittsburgh gets a team soon, Buffalo, Detroit, you know, those areas. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes two years, though. Maybe the focus is, you know, growing salaries first and stabilizing everything. But I think... If they could grow by maybe two teams every like two, three years, you know, that could be really interesting to me because you look at the NHL, like there's money in expansion, Mm -hmm. you know, just from the mere fact of expansion alone. There's more money in TV deals, which I would imagine that would grow, you know, with regional sports networks, plus something a little more national than YouTube streams. Um, something, you know, a little more higher paying than YouTube streams. I think that the potential is going to be there and then you'll have more sponsorship deals for individual players and things like that as well. So, um, I just think they need to keep their feet on steady ground. But if the season goes well, I don't see why you can't add a team or two.
2: That yeah. European impact, I think would not only help the league, but would help international hockey because it would be Canada, USA. And then you would have all the European countries that are trying to make a push. Know that, yeah. Hey, there's something more like, let's build our program because there's more that PWHL is there for you to be able to, to, um to make a living and to, to play hockey longer. So, um, for me, that's a big uh, important part, and that's why the NHL expanded a lot, right, through yep. you know, the many years of the 80s and 90s, because it was well, we have more of a pool of players now to uh, mm-hmm. to to bring in, and uh, the competitive competitive level gets uh, gets higher that way.
0: Awesome, Shana, terrific insight as always. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next week. We'll wrap up Sabers Live right after this.